Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Fool. I'm your host, Chris Amador. This podcast is a tribute to the people I've met along my journey and to their stories. I've learned a lot from all of them, and I'm really grateful. This conversation is with Taylor. I have nicknames for most of my coworkers, and Taylor's is the Buddha. Cool, calm, thoughtful, open-hearted, and a fun guy. As you listen, you will learn why all of us at Canopy Visions love Taylor. A quick disclaimer, while everyone at Canopy Visions has been supportive of this podcast, Canopy Visions did not sponsor this episode. Any and all views and opinions expressed in this episode are mine or my guests and do not represent the official policy, position, views of Canopy Visions. Hope you enjoy this episode. And so it begins. Taylor. What's up, Chris? How you doing, buddy? Thank you so much for doing this. I can't, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this. No problem. So, uh, how, how you been? How's your, how's your uh, day off that you had before I, I, I got you to do uh, my bidding? Uh, it's okay. It was my last day at my last job, so you know, it was smooth. Really? What, yeah, what I resigned. Well, what was the job? I, um, I was a residential counselor. Wow. How long were you doing that? I probably did it for the past couple years. Really? I started in Massachusetts. That's why I ended up finding Canon, is because I worked at a job corps in Chicopee, Massachusetts. And then I moved from Massachusetts back to New York. And mm-hmm. so I was commuting from Chicopee to Albany every day. Oh, wow. And so I used to, I used to go to Netta, a dispensary out in Northampton. Okay. But uh, uh, Canon Provisions was on the way. So I stopped in and the rest is history. <laughs> Just like the rest of us, the same thing with me. Uh, before we get into the, your past and everything, where you're from, was this uh, um, separation from this job amicable? Yeah. Yeah. Like for me, it was a situation of um, I'm about the people. Like I've worked in many different industries. My first love was arts and entertainment. And then after I got burnt out from that, I got into human services. Because I did some human services work, like, throughout, you know, my college years. So I got back into it. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I found, a, I found a way with Job Corps to really help young people who've been disenfranchised and underserved. But in this whole pandemic, the new facility I moved to, the bureaucracy, the BS was just too much. So mm-hmm. I gracefully just bowed out. And, you know, working at Canon Provisions, just the way they have their operations, mm-hmm. it makes it difficult to work other places that are, that function, you know, in, in efficiency. Oh, I hear you, man. I completely hear you. I mean, what, what, what is done at Canon is just like, it's, it's a step beyond. Oh, nice. Doing something right. Great product, great service. Um, I mean, will you miss this field? Will you miss being in, in this, then, that environment? Um, I miss working with the students because, a lot of these students have people who've been really inconsistent in their life. You know, they've had people come in and out, make promises that they can't keep or just don't keep. And so for me, you know, like I, for one thing, we were tasked with doing groups during, you know, during like uh, this distance remote learning that we're doing with them. Cause a lot of the, most of the students weren't on center anymore. Mm-hmm. And so my group, I told them is forget, you know, upholding the job course standard and everything that you asked me to do. My job is going to be about the power of thought, you know, manifestation, Mm. you know, that you can, whatever you want to have in life, you can have, 
there's an infinite amount of it out there. You just have to determine what it is and do the work to make that happen. So that's what I talked to them about. And they were receptive to it because we would talk about like life stuff, what they're dealing with. Yeah. So yeah, that's the part that I'll miss. But you know, the bureaucracy, the BS, the government oversight and all of that. Nah, I'm all set. You know, it's funny you should say that because there's been a significant number of teachers I've known in my life and great hearted people like you who really, really want to do well. They really want to go out there and change the world, change the environment, change people's lives, get, you know, make, keep promises to those who've, whose promises have been broken to. And the one thing they consistently complain about is a, is a bureaucracy, is the BS. And, you know, that, that's everywhere. Yeah. It's everywhere. But, like, if, you're, if, if your goal is to help other people and put in the time to help them, and then this, this organization industry uh, turns around and it's like, well, we're going to do more harm than good, then it, it just puts a sour taste in your mouth. And, and why would you want to even volunteer at that point or even help? Exactly. Constantly meet opposition after opposition. So, I mean, it seems like you're, you're going you're gonna to be okay with this decision. So, would this mean you're coming in full-time at Canada? Yeah, I, I picked up a couple more days, you know, because I still want to leave time to do my outside interests. Because this position that I left, where I love working in human services, was essentially a stopgap until I can get my own various businesses, you know, to where I want them to be. Right. You know, so, cool. like, I want to, even though I'm not working with the youth in that capacity, I probably will start a not-for-profit and do something eventually with the youth. But right now, my main focus is on uh, real estate investing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have a, a, a service idea I'm, I'm fleshing out, putting together. Right. Well, let's get into the root of all this now. Let's get into the root of what makes Taylor Taylor. Um, yes, sir. All right. So were you born in, in New York? Were you born in Massachusetts? I was born and raised in Albany, New York. Oh, really? Okay. What part? Um, Arbor Hill. Arbor Hill. Well, I, wow. Yeah, I started off, like, as a baby, they lived over by, my parents lived over by Western Ave, then they moved to North Albany, and mm -hmm. then my father, being a person that he was, wanted to move to, like, the inner city where he was, well, he's from downtown Albany, but he wanted to move to the inner city because of the person of stature that he was, he wanted to be amongst his community to be an example and do things that, right. you know, that could, uh, you know, be beneficial. And is that where you get your love for going back to the communities from your father? Definitely. I mean, yeah. this man would clean up the neighborhood in a three-piece suit, you know, like wow. the positions that he had, you know, he had pretty prominent positions. Like he was a deputy commissioner of corrections for New York State. Wow. You know, he ran the Martin Luther King Commission for Nonviolence after that. And then, you know, he did like some essentially like work for hire. Like he went down to Pennsylvania for a little while and helped them get a new prison off the ground. So he was involved in corrections and helping most of his life. But his approach to corrections was was vastly different than like this, than what the industrial prison complex has become. I think it's absolutely positively atrocious what's going on in the prison systems. It's, it's horrible that we're just well, repeating a cycle over and over and over and over and over and over again. And, and, and then what? We're, it just doesn't make any sense how, how we're, we're just throwing people in prison where they become expert prison, expert criminals. 
it doesn't make any sense. It's about, it's about reform. It's not about just putting them away so they can come out and be better criminals. It's nuts. Yeah, that and also, I mean, there's a monetary piece to it as well in terms of, you know, like prison is the one place where slavery is essentially still legal. So, you know, like big, you know, these Fortune 500 companies, these multinational companies, they use this prison workforce as a way to get cheap labor. Yeah. to get things made. So, you know, there there's a reason behind, you know, the lack of uh, rehabilitation that they're doing because in a lot of places, you know, they're taking away, you know, the educational services, but they're giving, you know, services like uh, oh, TV and, you know, hey, do these things that are, you know, really not going to help you rehabilitate yourself. Here, eat this salty, fatty foods. You know, like I had a nephew that was in prison uh, on a, you know, on a gun charge. And so when I would go visit him, it just amazed me that, you know, we'd go to like the visiting room area, the dance floor, if you will. And you go to the vending machines because that's the only food that you can get there. Everything is like high salt, high fat, super preservative. You know, you couldn't mm-hmm. even, I don't even think I saw water there. Like everything wow. was like juice or soda sugar yeah wow i mean that's the other thing as well it's like i i when you eat fatty foods and terrible foods you just you're just not thinking it affects your mood it affects your it affects your health it affects everything your perception yeah, it just doesn't make any sense i mean it was yeah. this was this information that you got from your father uh, his experience in the correction facility it, it, like what he like what were the highlights of his of, like what what did he do to actually help change the the correction system and what were the things that he wished he could have changed well his approach was he wanted to be fair yeah you know he wanted to give people like a fair shake a fair opportunity so a lot of times his what he dealt with a lot were the conditions in which the people lived and what they you know what they were allowed to do or not to do And so, like, he shared some things with us, like, in terms of, you know, just, you know, what to be grateful for in life. Mm -hmm. Because he understood that some of these people, you know, that were imprisoned were there. Yes, it was the the decision that they made, but it was why did they make that decision? Mm -hmm. There were some situations, like, there's a program called Shock, which is essentially like a a boot camp, you know, for Mm -hmm. nonviolent uh, offenders or, you know, like first time offenders. And so you can get like a reduced sentence, but there was a shock program. So longer story shorter, you know, there was like a drill sergeant, CO instructor who was being really, really, really too ridiculous with, you know, the people who were in this, this program. And they had this guy doing an exercise in sand and like they shoved his head, you know, into the sand. He was trying to like breathe. So he ingested, t- you know, a bunch of sand and ultimately, you know, asphyxiated. Wow. And so, you know, this is a time where he really had to make a choice of, he said this was one of the choice, toughest choices he had to make is because, you know, they were sitting around deciding, you know, how they were going to roll it out to the public, like right. what happened. And so they asked him, you know, well, being the only person of color in the room, you know, how, how do you want to handle this? You know, do we say it was an accident or do we really tell what happens? And, this thing was kind of like, look, man, if this was one of my kids, I'd want to know what happened. We don't want to lie to the people because if you lie, then, you know, 
that could essentially set us down a path that we don't need to go down. Let's just basically take our lumps and, you know, make it happen. Well, the lie would get found out not that at that point, but five years down the road or ten years. Oh, definitely get, right, and they would be mad that much more that that much worse. And he was a man of integrity. So, if anything, mm -hmm. the thing he taught me the most is, you know, taught all of us is, you know, integrity and principles are a big part of, you know, how you should conduct yourself and, you know, move within, you know, a job, if you will. No, yeah. well, you've certainly shown that at work, man. It's like it's it's always a pleasure to to work with you because uh, not only are you so 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 customer oriented, it's. It's. I thought I was. I was pretty good at it, but man, you're you're damn good at it. You you really keep in mind the customer service and and. So did, did you get these uh, principles from your mother as well? Um, customer service. I just kind of picked up along the lines of, you know, doing my own thing once I got out on my own, like working in arts and entertainment. You know, working in promotions. You know, is where I got like my start, and so you have to learn, like me. Believe it or not, you know, I'm, I'm more of an introvert. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the extrovert I had to learn and create for, you know, promotion purposes. You know, when you're out promoting different artists or a movie or a TV show or whatever you're promoting, it's imperative that, you know, that you're a people person, that you have to be able to read people and find out what the best way to approach them is. And so, you know, that's what I am. Um, that's something I pride myself on. But, you know, we work as a team because it makes it work together. Right. You know, whether it's you or any other people that we work with, like, people love our service. And mm -hmm. it's kind of like a, I don't want to say like a friendly competition, but you don't want to be the person to be a jerk to somebody because you're going to stand out. Well, I, think like, well, I look at it as a friendly competition. I do. I'm highly competitive, dude. I, I don't. That's why I'm not doing the 5K race at work because, like, I, I'd want to win that. If I didn't win it, I'd be a sour face. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand. I'm very yeah. competitive as well. <laughs> I don't like making mistakes. If I do make a mistake, it just bothers me. And then oh, yeah. I go home and game plan on how not to make that mistake again. So I totally yeah. understand. Oh, yeah, very much so. So what, what was life like for you as a child growing up in Albany? It was interesting, you know. Um, it was the best and worst of times because I grew up in the 80s, so that's when, you know, you get to see the full effects of Reaganomics and, you know, you get to see, like, uh, certain clandestine ideas put into place for, like, the neighborhoods I grew up in. But, however, it was beautiful because, you know, hip-hop wasn't full swing and, it was coming to its own. So there was all of this arts and culture. Like, so the block I grew up on, I grew up with Puerto Ricans, Chinese people, Russians, Malaysians, um, Jamaicans. You know, I grew up with lots of smorgasbord of people. Mm -hmm. The person who taught me, believe it or not, and I don't, you know, there was, a, there was two guys who lived across the street that we later found out happened to be or homosexual, however, you want to, however they want to label themselves. But one of them taught me how to throw the tightest spiral ever. Really? Until this day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so people have all of these ideas about somebody's lifestyle or makeup, but nope, this dude taught me how to throw the tightest spiral. Nice. Because, you know, you know, you couldn't tell me, you know, also growing up, 
you know, I started off as a Cowboys fan, but then switched over to the Falcons. But I was going to the NFL. You know, my mm -hmm. father had an opportunity to be a, a free agent in the NFL, but he chose, you know, in the 70s to pursue, you know, a political career. But it was my dream and goal to, like, you know, be a football player. So he would find me as a kid growing up talking about music or football or both. So mm -hmm. that was my upbringing. Right. Well, that's cool. I mean, did you have a lot of friends as kids? Did you have, have did you did you go to like Lincoln Park and play, or did you go to Washington Park and play? Um, I played at Lincoln and Washington Park um, as a kid. Uh, we, there's a park in front of my house, so you know a lot of the neighborhood kids would come there. So you know it was really cool. But we had there were tons of kids, so I had like my group of friends. You know, I have a huge family. Mm -hmm. So I had all my cousins. Um, well, how big is your family? Like how many siblings, how many cousins? Well, my grandmother had eight children. Mm -hmm. um, so I have probably in terms of first cousins, I would say about 20 first cousins. Mm -hmm. And then I have a younger sister and two older brothers. Nice. So there was four of us, but I grew up with my cousins, like especially my female cousins. We grew up like brother and sister. That's so cool. I count them as like my sisters too. But yeah, I had a huge family. So it was full of love, you know, fun, you know, just being outdoors, running around, doing what mm -hmm. kids do in the, you know, in the neighborhood. You know, we spent a lot of time going down to, you know, the Empire State Plaza and doing things like that. Oh, yeah. I remember, yeah, I, I mean, when I lived in Albany, I, I used to go there quite a bit. You know, it's really interesting about the plaza is that it's, it, to me, it's a um, $75 million Nelson Rockefeller tombstone. Um, it is. Yeah, you know, because the thing is, I don't know if you know the story behind this, is that yep. the um, Nelson Rockefeller, the pitch for him to build the plaza was that it's going to be the best architectural, ar ar I don't know how to say this, but the best best form of architecture anybody's going to see in, in their lifetime. It's going to be as big, if not as grand, as the pyramids. And then there'd be more uh, people coming to the plaza than there would be going to Disney World. Okay, mm -hmm. And people would be going elbow to elbow, touching each other because of how crowded it would be. Yeah, the first year, the novelty wore off. That was like, now there's nobody around there. Yeah, it's a fun place to walk around and kind of collect your head and see the, see the egg and everything, but it's you know, it wasn't a huge attraction that Nelson Rockefeller made it out to be, but, yeah. Yeah, and it displaced so many different people. I don't know if you saw the documentary about it. Yeah, no, I didn't see the documentary about it, but I, when it was being built, I remember it was being built as a kid and how many people it displaced. Yeah, it was pretty big. It was a huge deal. Yeah, like there was like a whole Italian community who lived, an Italian, Irish, and I even think a Russian community that was like around there. Yeah, and they had some great restaurants and everything. I mean, personally, there was, no, there was more charm before that plaza was built. Also, like, I used to work for the state doing, um, you know, doing cultural events. So, like, mm -hmm. all the events, like, 4th of July, the Black Arts and Cultural Festival, mm -hmm. the Food Fest. Like, I worked hand-in-hand in, hand in doing all of that stuff. And mm -hmm. so we did a project before I left there uh, with, the ex with the New York State Museum. And it was the history of the plaza. Mm. And so 
you know, found out that Rockefeller based it off of this palace over in France, over in Versailles, I believe. And so, like, if you look at, like, that, where he got the idea from, the the plaza is almost like an exact, uh, rem- like, remodel of that. I mean, some mm-hmm. certain structures have been adjusted some, but it's like a, like a twin sister to it. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty interesting once you get into it. And then him and, you know, the deal he made with Corning for taxes and, uh, it's just real. It's a real interesting story. The history of that place is funny. Yeah, it is, and it's it, and and Albany has completely changed since I grew up as a kid. It used to be uh, shops along Central Avenue. Um, a lot of shops, a lot of good shops from along Central Avenue. I used to get my comic books there, um, but it's 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 changed. It changed quite a bit. How do you how do you feel about the change? What what do you feel that where, where Albany's going? Well, I see the gentrification, like having worked for the city for a period of time, Mm -hmm. um, I saw the plans. And on one hand, I like it because there's so many, you know, properties that are like ghost properties, zombie properties. So people are coming in to try and, you know, do them over. So that's a plus. But they're trying to, you know, people, certain people are getting displaced with this start of gentrification. Mm-hmm. And so on one hand, I appreciate it because they're really trying to do it over. But some of the culture, some of the things that are there are getting, you know, kind of like washed away. But it's, it's interesting to see. Yeah. I mean, I, it's been so long since I've been up there. Is, is the Palace Theater still there? The Palace is still there. Okay. Uh, they changed what was the Times Union Arena, now the Pepsi Arena. I'm sorry, which was the Pepsi Arena is now the Times Union Center. Uh, that's changed. That has more of like downtown, that part of Pearl Street. Yeah. Like they're it's starting to look a little 42nd Street, like Times Squarish. Mm. Wow. So, and as a kid, did you get, were you into, uh, were you into comic books? Were you into uh, Knight in Shiny Armor? What, what were you into? Um, I was into like sports, like yeah. football was my thing. And I had a closet dream of being like an NBA player, but I never had the skill or coordination for that. <laughs> I'm better off, you know, chasing somebody down or blocking for somebody. Right. But uh, um, comic books, you know, one of my best friends was in a comic book, so I spent some time at Earthworld Comics. Oh, yeah. Spent a lot of money there. <laughs> yeah. Spent a lot so, of money there. I actually bring my son to Earthworld because he's in the comics and – you know, like uh, Avengers and X-Force and, you know, some of those things. So yeah. not bring him there from time to time so he can, you know, pick up his comics. Oh, how, how old is he? Uh, he just turned 13 in June, uh, the middle of June. Wow. What's it like been, uh, been a father? Uh, it's been interesting, man. Like, uh, it's been a growth process, man. I had to have a lot of patience with myself, patience with my son, um, you know, but it's a blessing, man, because you really get to see life being formed and created. Mm-hmm. And it's just been a blessing. Like, I have a great son, man. Like, he's he's awesome. You know, and my wife has two kids, so it's really cool. How long have you been married? Uh, we've been together for about five going on six years, but we've been married for the past year. Nice. Oh, wow. They're honeymooners. Yeah, essentially, yeah. Yeah, when was the date? 
uh, March, I mean, May 23rd. May 23rd. Yeah. What did you guys do for your first anniversary? Well, you couldn't do I'm, much because of COVID. We couldn't do much because of COVID. Yeah, she's yeah. currently in the DR and I'm over here in the States, so. Really? Yeah. She's in DR? Oh, mm-hmm. no. Oh, no. How's that separation been? Uh, it's been tough because normally I'm over there a lot. Yeah. You know, I I just, we fl- I fly back and forth. But uh, it's been interesting. But she should be here within the next couple months, so everything cool. is smooth. Cool. And 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 um, are, are the kids with her kids with her? In, uh, in yeah. The- yep. Mm-hmm. And so your son's with you then. Yep. Okay. How's how's the, how was the two months uh, for you? The the lockdown. What was that like for you? Uh, it was interesting, man, because uh, you know I was still able to work at Job Corps. Mm-hmm. So I was blessed and fortunate that way, but I really missed Canada provisions. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, just the bud I had access to was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I was like, yeah. oh, my God, I can't wait till they open. <laughs> but um, so it's um, but no, it was, you know, I just use it as a time to reflect. Yeah. You know, just use to 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 be a better me and just and just really, you know, put you had nothing but time. So. Spent a lot of time planning and plotting, you know, the next five years. So, yeah, you know, that's what I did over the, the, the time. So before we get into the, the future, the future thing, because I know you'd, you'd mentioned that uh, real estate and future business endeavors. Um, what was the, the time in your life when you decided to try marijuana? Oh, that's perfect. Uh, actually, my, in my neighborhood, I was 15. Mm-hmm. I was always the athlete. And so I never wanted to smoke because I was like, oh, you know, I smoke weed, you know, like my two friends that did it on a regular basis. I would just like to bother them and blow their high, if you will. <laughs> and so, you know, it was just a fun thing. And then one day I was like, Yo, let me try that. And they're like, yeah, right, man. You don't smoke weed. You're an athlete. Mm. Or, you know, you got all of these dreams and ideas. You don't smoke. I'm like, nah, man, let me hit that. And they're like, nah, man your parents are super strict. And so like for me, I would have to like lie and do different things to get out the house, but I'm going to hang out with certain friends. Everything was fine. So I'm like, nah, man, it's cool. I'm over here. Let me just, um, you know, let me try it. So they're like, look, we're going to put the blunt here. Cause you know, back then we were smoking Philly's blunts. Mm-hmm. So you put the, like put the blunt right here, Chris, I hit that thing. I probably took maybe like a good five to 10 pulls on it. And I waited like five minutes. I'm like, man, this ain't nothing. This is what weed is. Oh, this is bogus, man. Mm-hmm. Chris, let me tell you something. <laughs> like 45 minutes later, I'm at the top of the stairs in his house because his mom let us smoke in his house because her thing was, you know, I'd rather you guys smoke here so if anything happens, I know where you are, so on and so forth. I know exactly what can happen. I know, you know, we can get access to you. You're not somewhere where anybody can bother whatever so anyway man i'm high out my mind i'm calling for my mom because i think she's calling me so i run down the stairs out of his room out his front door yell down to my block you know yelling you know asking if my mom it was it was a mess man (laughs) you know i came in the house i probably wolfed down like three slices of pizza in like two minutes went to my room put on some music and just was like, holy shit. 
but it was amazing. It was a marriage made in heaven after that. What What was your um? Do you Do you remember what your first uh um your first bud was? Was it sour diesel? Was it? Oh man, it was some BS brick weed from wherever. <laughs> it was definitely like some low grade, some low low grade mid. Mm-hmm. Seeds wow. and stems popping like popcorn. But hey, wow. man. Yeah. Wow. That's that's rough. Those those days are rough. Come a I mean, long at, the, way. at that point, did uh, did you did you want to become a grower? Did you want to become somebody that was involved in it? Did you, how how did how did your your love for the weed manifest from that point? I really didn't. At that point, I was just trying to smoke when I could. It wasn't even on a consistent basis. Not until I got to college is where I really, really, really fell in love with weed because I used to, you know, drink beer and, you know, that type of stuff. But, like, when I smoked weed, it was just, like, a better feeling to me. Mm. And so I just fell in love with it. And then it just became a thing of, I need this. I need this consistently. But then, you know, being in college, the college I went to, I was exposed to, like, like good bud for the first time. Mm. And so, like, you know, trying to get BS off the street or around the corner or whatever, you know, you smoke it and I'd feel like, eh. So then I started to become inconsistent. But mm-hmm. once I was able to, like, graduate and, you know, got, like, my first real job, then I was able to smoke on a consistent basis, like, get good bud consistently. So then just smoked all the time. Wow. You said you went to college. And- yeah. What college did you go to? I went to Southern Connecticut State University. And how was in it? New Haven. It was really cool, man. Like, I went initially to play football because, again, I had, you know, these gridiron dreams of making it to the league. And, you know, that school, they send people to the NFL on a, on a fairly consistent basis. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that was a str- you know, that was where I was going. Mm-hmm. But then once I really got to experience and see it for what it was, it was like, eh. I'm all set. And then, you know, I just, uh, you know, that's just where the marriage started for me. Mm-hmm. Wait, were you, were you smoking more because of the, the effects that you wanted from it? Or was it for the effects and the result of injuries from, uh, sustained from, from uh, contact sports? Uh, for me, it was a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, I really love, like, the effect, the feel of it. Mm-hmm. because it gave me like a euphoria like you know like you it just it just it just puts you and once you really understand it and can respect it and appreciate it it really connects you to to the world mm-hmm. in my opinion what do you think is the opposition for people because i my experience has been it's just it's just been stig- marijuana has been stigmatized what do you think the opposition is from your point of view why marijuana has not been readily accepted as as one of the best healers for mankind? Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, I think that goes back to Harry Anslinger and all the propaganda films they put out back in the Mm -hmm. past to make people Mm -hmm. think a certain thing. I think that certain people are just ignorant to it. Again, it goes back to what they were told about how this is a gateway drug and it's horrible. Mm-hmm. And then I think nowadays you have big pharma who, you know, they get a lot of their 
new medications from research they do off of, you know, plants and and roots and things they get from, you know, the rainforest and other nutrient-rich places, you know, so they can manufacture it into something synthetic. And with marijuana, it's the same thing that now that people are becoming more awakened, more, you know, are accepting of it, you know, they're scared. So there's this push to keep that stigma on there. Like, oh, it's still harmful. It does this. It does that. It, you know, so I think those three things you have, the people who are products of the old propaganda, the people who still remain ignorant, and then you have big business who doesn't want to see this marijuana industry coming and crush everything that they've built to this point. I mean, there's some people that some customers I've met where they say the teachers don't work for them. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's sad because at, at that point, you know, we have vapes and everything else that can work, you know, that can help with uh, insomnia and stuff like that. And I, but I, every single person I've ever talked to has suffered from insomnia, suffered from pain. They all said universally the same thing. I can't keep taking that medication anymore. And yeah. Is is worse than the actual, you know, what was making me go to the doctors in the first place, and it's and people are flocking to get this medicine. People from New York are coming quite a bit. Oh yeah, you know, it's just because of that they can't get the quality medication that they need in New York that they can from a legal state, and 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 they they're expected to pay more in New York for something they can get just across the border at half the price. You know, and, and consistently it's been insomnia and pain, insomnia and pain, but the reason why people are, are, are in the dispensaries. Yeah, and also like in New York, the way the medical cannabis is set up, they don't want you to consume it through combustible means, so you can't buy flour. Right. So it's like vapes and like pills, and that doesn't work for everybody. Yeah, yeah. And it's really about finding your thing and what works for you. It's not, yeah. not one thing is going to work for everybody. Uh, you know, I've been finding that that out the hard way myself. <laughs> you know, you, yeah. you go you go along. I mean, teachers work for me, but not not sometimes they it's too much. I can't take too much. Um, but then you know, but anyway, you said you went so going to college. What did you go to uh, initially to study? Initially, I went for I was doing anatomy and physiology because I wanted to be a physical ther- a physical trainer, mm-hmm. and then I moved over to elementary education but then what I really found my niches in communications and that's where I just really began to like blossom now you because communication. I'm right communications mm-hmm. but you wanted to be in the arts and entertainment how did that happen so growing up like I had this love of like sports and music and so I just just consumed everything you know, music industry related growing up, you know, and being a lover of hip hop, you know, I wanted to do something. I didn't want to be an artist, but I wanted to be involved with the industry. So that started my desire. And so once I got there at school, once I was able to find my way at college, you know, I found that, you know, like TV production was kind of it for me. You know, I found that, you know, me being a creative, there's a way I can, you know, communicate. So I don't have to write, you know, a million papers. I can create a project to show that I know what you're doing. Oh, this is perfect. This is perfect for me. So I love the visual art side of it. You know, I love the TV production side of it. And so that led me to actually 
you know, calling on like some family friends who worked in the music industry. And I was able to get an internship at one of the biggest record labels at the time, you know, a prominent figure in hip hop. Um, cool. And then, you know, it just went from there. But when you say, um, well, well, first let's, we're going to springboard. We're going to use that sports as a springboard into music. Yep. So what are you, what are your teams? Who, who do you like? You mentioned one point that you had a, um, a concussion that made you like the Cowboys. No, I said I uh <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, what happened is hey, I'm a product of the eighties, so you know, like Roger Staubach and Yeah. Yeah. Uh Tony Dorsett, Ed Two Tall Jones, those guys. Um but you know, like most black kids growing up in the you know, the eighties, you know, the seventies, you know, the Steelers and the Cowboys were a lot of teams that, you know, like, you know, black men, you know, just happen to love just because of their lifestyle and such in the 70s. So when they fired Tom Landry, that made me not a Cowboys fan anymore. So I eventually became a, a Falcons fan. So I'm a Falcons fan, a New York Knicks fan. I know a glutton for punishment. And then for baseball, I like the Yankees. I can't say I'm the biggest baseball fan, but if I do watch, if I do root, it's going to be for the Yankees or the Mets. Wow. You're called away. Yeah. So you, you sports, sports gave you the, like the chutzpah, we'll say, to actually go into the fact that, like, you know, once you were, once you condition yourself, you can condition your mind to be an athlete. And then when you get to the point where it's like, well, I can not only put this into, you know, um, my my uh into you know physically wanting to get something but i want to mentally get something as well so you use that springboard into music and what what well what are your favorite who are your favorite artists uh your hip-hop artists so to answer the first part of your question yeah i definitely i use sports as a way just to operate through life Mm -hmm. because you know like you have teammates that you may not care for get along with but you all have one common goal. And so I take that into the business place as well is, you know, it's a transferable skill, you know, that what is our common goal? Let's all reach and achieve this. You know, we don't have to, as long as we can respect each other and appreciate each other's, you know, work ethic, then we're good. But uh, in terms of my favorite hip hop artists, I would have to say it would be uh, Nas, Black Thought, uh, a rapper named Cameron, uh, KRS-One, then I have to say a rapper named Jadakiss. But uh, in terms of music in general, my favorite artist ever of all genres is Bob Marley. Wow. Yeah, so he's my favorite just because I like what he stood for. And, you know, the music he created was awesome, but just the person he was. Like, he recognized his place on earth. And to me, he understood what he was here for. He never really let that falter. Yeah. He came with a message. You know, he wanted to to live a righteous life. Hmm. And to me, that's ultimately what it's about. And he spoke about it through his music, like through his music, you know, as popular as he was, he could have did something else, but people just gravitated towards him 
because of the righteousness, the beauty in his music. And it mm. just touches my soul every time I hear something from Bob. Would you say that if, if marijuana had a voice, it would sound and, and words would be like Bob Marley? Mm, that's a good question. I would say, I'm not sure what marijuana would sound like. I think it would sound more, you know, like a woman because it's so giving. It gives birth to mm-hmm. just creation and so many different things. So I think it might have more of a female voice. But oh. again, that's just my opinion. Very cool. Very cool. I like that answer. I like it a lot. How is the conversation around marijuana with your son? I'm open with him now that he's a little bit older. I explained to him, you know, what cannabis is, how it can be used, um, you know, and that it's something that, you know, when you're of the right age, that's a choice that you can make, you know, if that's something you choose to do, but it's something to respect. It's not something that you do to be cool. It's not something that you do just to, to fit in. You know, you have to appreciate it and what it's there for. You know, and I understand when you're younger, you know, if it does happen, you know, it's not going to happen at this age, not in my house. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you get older, you know, there may be a time where you want to hang out with your friends and it's a part of the libation. I get that. But I teach him to respect it, that he's in no way, shape or form supposed to touch it or be around it now at this age. And, you know, just being honest and real with him just because. It's out there, and I'd rather him hear about it from me than try and leave it up to somebody and be ignorant. So now he knows, oh, well, yeah, they're smoking weed. Let me not go over there or, you know, oh, I know what that is, and, you know, let me, you know, not partake in that. You know, and he understands. Yeah. He's all about video games, basketball, and, you know, comics right now. So that's (laughs) – he could care less about – cannabis or anything like that and is he a knicks fan no no he is a golden state warriors fan oh there you go i mean who can blame him i mean my god they're doing super well yeah yeah they had an off year last year but uh no they're gonna be good yeah Stephen curry's a good coach he's a really good coach he's amazing so uh, when you got into the industry from from friends and family into uh, the entertainment business when did you when did you then get into helping helping other people out? Because it seems like there was a period of time, like maybe a couple of years, you were in that, or you were you doing both jobs, or uh, so going into high school, I wanted to make money before I went away to college. Mm-hmm. So I had one of my older brothers worked in the human services field. He worked with development developmentally disabled people, mm-hmm. and so he got me involved with that. So I did that, and then when I was working for a TV network in Connecticut, you know, um, I had a couple, you know, side things I was doing. So I wanted to make a little more money. So I got involved with working with the development of the disabled again. But then, you know, I jumped back into just doing TV, just full time TV and music. And so that's what I focused on. Now, were you but, producing um, or what were you doing in, in, in those, those areas? So when I worked for uh, ESPN, a large portion of what I did for them was in the music department, which was working in synchronization and licensing. So it's really like an alternative way for artists to get paid. 
Oh, so, I like, see. when they put out music, you know, they want to get it played different places. And so, you know, we would do contracts for that. Um, you know, I also got to the point where I was soliciting producers. So I was essentially having work produced for ESPN, you know, remixes to our theme and, um, you know, and then just doing soundscape work for a lot of pretty much for everything that you saw, like on Sports Center and a lot of their original entertainment. Wow. You miss it? Um, yes and no. Like, I love the creative side of being able to work with music to help bring out somebody's emotion or being challenged. You know, a producer may come to me and say, look, I put this video together. Here's the emotion I'm trying to evoke. And then just reaching deep down inside and just trying to find the right soundscape to pull out the emotion that they're trying to convey. Mm -hmm. uh, I miss that part, but like the, like the super hurry up and wait, the go, 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 go mind state and mentality above it. No, nah, I don't miss that at all. Yeah. I mean, this is going to segue into the nickname I had for you, which is the, the Buddha. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's because it's, I, I can, for me, the, the, the teachings I've read of the Buddha is having a huge heart. You know, that's part of being a bodhicitta and everything is to, to be awakened. You know, that's part of the mm -hmm. enlightenment is to have a huge heart. At the same time, focus it. You know, yep. focus it in the right direction. And I've, I've watched you, I've witnessed you do that on a couple of occasions where, it, you know, it doesn't matter what the customer is thinking or feeling or they're in a foul mood, you put a smile on them. You know, I've witnessed you do it. You know, so it's not, it's not something like you say or whatever. It's like, this is the philosophy you actually live by and exercise. Yeah. So how did, how did, how did that come about? Well, because I used to, um, I used to be super angry and I used to take things personal and I still do to a certain degree. And my wife has been amazing at that, you know, in terms of, um, helping me with that. But, she, along with just wanting to make changes for myself, I just got to a point where it's like, you know what? It doesn't really matter what anybody else has to say. Don't take personal, you know, what they say. They're just projecting their own uh, insecurities and fears, and, and they're trying to put that on you. And so don't take that personal because that's just, that's just them. Yeah. And so for me, at the end of the day, and I also look at it as I want to expedite this. And you may be in a bad mood. So if I give you a bad mood, now we're both in a bad mood. Now this may prolong the situation. Mm -hmm. So if, I'm, if I smile and I'm nice and I'm genuine to you, you can't help but, you know, just be the same back or just, you know, just be short and, you know, complete the transaction and go. Mm -hmm. But also I look at it as it's just the environment that we're in, man. It's peaceful. You know, we're selling cannabis. So I'm happy, man. Like I get to smell weed all day. I get mm -hmm. to be around it all day. What were you your, know I'm good. What were your dealer days like? Because that, that, that's the thing that your son's never going to experience. He's never going to have dealer days. You know, he's never, like if he wants pot and if he, you know, if he wants to go to you, I'm sure you, you, you two would talk about it. 
Yeah, definitely. He's, he's never going to experience what it's like to have gone waited for the dealer. If you had to tell him a story, your, your best dealer day stories, what, what were the best and worst? You know, best and worst dealer day stories, what were they? I would say probably the best is, you know, putting your money together with your friends to go buy a little BS bag, a, a, a 20 bag of some BS shake with like, sticks and, and 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 seeds in it and just like you know trying to separate it and roll the biggest blunts you guys can roll but uh you know getting beat you know not really knowing what you're looking for and somebody selling you like a bag of oregano then you take a pull and it's like gee what this is not weed <laughs> um i would say that but i've like i've been I've been fairly lucky and blessed to where I've never, uh, my experiences were never to the point of it was like a really bad situation mm -hmm. just because I just happened to know, you know, certain people, you know, I've been beaten before in terms of somebody sold me something that wasn't weed, you know, but I guess one of the funnest stories, it didn't, it involved me, but it didn't involve me. So I won't say any names to keep the innocent innocent, but mm. so this was, I was in college in Connecticut and I was working at a hospital at the time and I had some of my friends come from out of town to hang out with me. And so they were hanging out with some friends that I had from New Haven. Mm. And so they're like, yo, we want to smoke. We're going to go to the spot and buy weed. Do you want to put in? I'm like, well, I don't get off work until 8.30 or 9 o'clock. They're like, all right, so give us some money, you know, put in on it, and then, you know, we'll buy a bunch of weed, and then we'll put some aside for you. So longer story shorter, two of the gentlemen that were my friends that were with one of my friends from out of town, they all went to go buy the weed, so it was four of them. Now, the two guys in the back, they also smoked wet, mm. which is like embalming fluid or like mint leaves and all of that. Mm -hmm. so anyway they went and they bought weed and wet and then they rolled it all up but they didn't say which one was which oh. and so they were just passing it around I wasn't there I was at work and it's funny because everybody was okay nobody mm -hmm. nothing, nothing bad happened but one of my friends was panicking because he was like yo man they passed it around and didn't tell us which one was which and oh, no. I think I hit it and he just kept you know, what's going to happen, man? You work at a hospital. Like, yeah, I work at a hospital, but I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I mean, you're going to be all right, man. Just drink some yeah. milk and lay down. And it was, it was funny. Like that was panicking, you know, that, you know, they were panicking like that, but you know, that was a funny one, but that's, you know, can be used as a learning lesson and wisdom of, Hey, unless you're there to buy it, unless you see it rolled up, don't smoke it. Exactly. Exactly. And so what, so what are your, I know you and I briefly talked about prior to the podcast about um, real estate and everything. And so what is your, what, is, what do you think of the real estate? Because I mean, there's, there's articles written quite a bit about New York city, just like it's not going to go back to being the same again. And that it's, it's right now it's, it's a buyer's market because everybody is selling. Now upstate, yeah. I can see that it's that's not the case. It's it's really a, it's a it's a seller's market right now. Yeah, it's still there's a lot of buyers because of the opportunity zones, 
like in the capital area that they have, there's a lot of people that are interested, you know, in purchasing because there's a lot of abandoned properties and a lot of areas that, you know, are opportunity zones where there's definitely going to be an upswing of capital infused in those areas. But, um, uh, overall, I definitely think it's a buyer's market just from everything we're dealing with, like with the, uh, with the COVID-19 and, you know, the, uh, the lockdowns that they're doing in certain cities and, you know, landlords not being able to pay mortgage because, you know, tenants aren't being able to pay. So it's a, it's a time to invest right now, you know, Mm -hmm. if people have it, but also understand that you're going to be probably carrying a lot of your properties because, there's not that many people trying to move in and, you know, with the employment going the way it's going, you know, it's, there's no way to know. But I think back in like, Oh, eight, we're going to, that bubble's going to burst again soon. Yeah, I agree. So I completely agree. But I also, what I, what I'm really curious about is what's going to happen with all this, because in 2008, when the bubble, when the bubble burst, um, a lot of artists couldn't afford to live in New York City anymore. A lot of actors, a lot of you know, comedians and stuff. So they all moved to, to Philadelphia. And when they did that, it completely changed Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, because where I used to live in, when I lived in Philly was in Fishtown. You know, it was a very sketchy place. And I went to pick up my ex-girlfriend in the car. And it was, at that point, it, it was very sketchy. And I went back there a couple of years ago for a family reunion. My God, Fishtown's not even the same. It's, it doesn't even look like Fishtown, the old Fishtown anymore, which is great. You know, it's, it's, it's a much, much different location. Do you think that's what's going to happen with Albany, being that a lot of businesses are heading out of New York City, they're going to head towards Albany? Definitely. Definitely. I see that now. Like, there's places, you know, because, you know, I just moved back after, like, being away for, like, a year and some change. And you can see there's certain areas where it's totally changed. I mean, even in the neighborhood I'm in now, like, there were never this many, you know, like, there was always just black, you know, lots of black people. Now you have a lot more, you know, college students and people who, you know, work down at the plaza that, you know, live in this area now. Like, people are moving back into the city from, you know, the suburbs. Mm. Wow. So, yeah, it's definitely changing. Like, you're seeing, you know, Paneras and places that you never thought you'd see a Panera. Or a Starbucks. And when that happens, you know the neighborhood has changed forever. <laughs> and Starbucks, yeah. It's funny yeah. how popular Starbucks was in Europe. Well, how it is in Europe. Uh, it's, it's, I don't know if I told you this, but a friend of mine um, lives in, in London, and she uh, t- texted me, said that there's a seven-hour wait time for McDonald's in, in London. It's, That's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, I haven't had McDonald's in years, but there, it's just no way. There's just no way I'm going to wait for Unless it's the last meal I'm ever going to have in my life or something like that. But sure, why yeah. not? But, um, you know, things are really, really changing quite a bit. And it's like, it's amazing how the brand names are just sticking around the world. But um, um, so you mentioned uh, dealing with anger. And I really yeah. identify with that in a big way because it's um, – some people like to say emotional, like emotional is weakness, but like motion, emotion is motion. You know, emotion, emotion is, is natural. Yeah. I, I kind of have a problem with that myself because I'm, I'm a very passionate person. Um, 
And so, but how do you, how do you deal with your anger? How do you not let it get the best of you? Well, you know, again, I have to credit my beautiful wife for helping me with that. And also, you know, just myself and just having some internal conversations, you know, and just really, just really recognizing, you know, what triggers me. Then just having like emotional intelligence, right. you know, and I also, you know, I'm big on, you know, like the, the four agreements, you know, one of those being don't take it personal. Yeah. And so once yeah. I really adapted that into my life, it started to help me because similar to what you said, I'm a very passionate person, you know, and for me, you know, I'm very loyal and I'm very caring. So I expect everybody to have the same devotion that I have or I used to, but that's not the case. Some people are, you know, they're motivated by money. Some people are motivated by whatever they're motivated by. Mm. And so for me, you know, if I'm putting my all into something and then, you know, just using this as an example, if, if I'm putting my all into something and a teammate is not, that would anger me. Or if I see somebody who I feel knows better, you know, that would anger me. But again, that was just my own personal feelings manifesting themselves in a the manner of lashing out or, or speaking to somebody, you know, in a negative situation to try and get them you know, to try and say, hey, look, why are you doing that? Why are you doing this? You know, like, you shouldn't do that. You know, you know better or whatever. But then ultimately, I just had to realize that don't take it personal. You take those words that they say and make it so that, hey, look, that's just their opinion. Yeah. You'll be all right. So for me, it's a situation of if I'm in a team type atmosphere, you know, whether just working with teammates, I have expectations. Mm -hmm. I'm loyal and I'm devoted to whatever the task is. So mm -hmm. I would expect everybody to be on that level. But mm -hmm. I had to realize and understand that certain people's motivation is different. Their reason for being there is different. They don't have the same intentions that I have. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, mm -hmm. but it's also not a reason for me to be, to be angry or upset that they don't have the same level of passion or understanding as I do. So it was, you know, again, my beautiful wife helped me understand and really helped me look inside and have these internal conversations with how to deal with that and referencing back to the four agreements, you know, not take it personal. Mm -hmm. They're going to do what they're going to do. You can only control what you can control. Right. And, you know, like when it comes, I tell my kids the same thing, you know, because I try to give them gems that, you know, from things that I've experienced, and so mm -hmm. it was, hey, listen, you know, don't allow somebody's words to make you feel some type of way. You may want to, but that's just their own uh, insecurities, inconsistencies, and whatever emotions they're dealing with. They're just trying to project that on you. Right. And those are just words. Words do have power. Words do have meaning. But at the same time, you can choose how those words affect you. If you want to believe it or not. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And for me, sometimes it's, it seems like when the words come in my direction, it is that time when I feel shitty. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the challenge is, yeah, because that day I'm not doing well, something is up and all of a sudden someone sees that non-verbally sees that I'm having a rough day and they, they say or do something. That's the challenge for me because, because on my best day, no one's going to affect me. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, when you're not having a good day is when 
you know, you get affected. And that's hard to make that, that shift. But yeah, that, the Four Agreements book is a great book. Uh, and thank you for reminding me about the lessons on that. Um, so is the Four Agreements what you use and, and other books did you use to teach the youth uh, when you were teaching youth the, the mindset teachings? Uh, I use that. I, I talk about that. That's a little, for some of the students I was dealing with, um, and I would break it down to a level that they could understand because some of them came from situations and circumstances where they were underserved. And so their level of comprehension and, you know, just being able to analyze certain things was not fostered, was not built up. So, mm-hmm. you know, I would use that, but I also, I would start with the secret, mm-hmm. you know, okay. and use the secret for that. And then, you know, build on manifestation and metaphysics from that. Okay. So it was more, you got them to think about what, what was in front of them than what was behind them. Because it seems like that's, it seems to be the weight of people getting triggered is the fact that they're so focused on what they don't have. They don't think about what they do have. Yeah. And I would talk like, so my program was, you know, that I started is, uh, you know, tag your it. Mm-hmm. You know, not Y-O-U apostrophe R-E, like you are it, but your Y-O-U-R, your it. Your it is whatever it is you want to be, you can do that. You can accomplish that. As an example, I had one student that I was working with who he just was, he didn't want really anything to do with the program. You know, the whole COVID shutdown and everything happened. So, you know, there was a lot of anxiety, a lot of uncertainty just because it's new for them. You know, Mm -hmm. teenagers sometimes can't process things or, you know, it's new to their level of understanding and how to deal with things. So, you know, he was very anxious, you know, very emotional. And so I broke it down to don't worry about the schoolwork, that type of stuff that you have anxiety about because we're going to get that done. That's not the issue. Let's talk about what's going to motivate you to get to your ultimate goal. What is it that you want to be? And his thing was he wanted to be an author. So I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I have author acquaintances, author comrades. You know, there's a gentleman that um, you know, that I'm cool with who he writes books for the History Channel. Mm-hmm. You know, he writes books for, you know, he just loves history. I'm a history buff myself. So, you know, we would talk about history, like Revolutionary War history. That's one of his big things. And so, you know, we would talk about that, you know, talk about, you know, different findings, different things that we researched. But ultimately... I'm going to put that student in touch with, you know, that author, although the student doesn't want to write the type of literature that my author comrade writes, Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's still an author. He still, you know, set out to write books and, you know, self-published and got published by major publishers. Nice. And so, you know, just being able to talk to somebody who's done it, you know, to me is a key. That's something that, can help somebody, you know, tag their it. Right. That's very cool. That's very, very cool. Yeah. How, how are you going to learn anything? Like you're not going to learn uh, martial arts in a book. Yeah. You, no, you, you have to do it. You have to do it. So how did you and your wife meet? Well, it was funny how we met. Um, you know, I'm old school. So, you know, man, it's been like six, seven years now. So, you know, I was single for a while. I had dated around, you know, the you know the typical way. Like, I like to meet people in person. 
mm-hmm. you know, like the online thing, you know, that was cool. It was, it wasn't so much new, but it was a little bit different. And so for me, I was like, you know, I, I just wanted, I wanted to do something so different. I wanted to meet somebody that was so different from me. So I was like, hey, let me try this online. And so I went to, a, I forgot the name of the website, but, you know, she was there. I talked to many different people, but something about her stood out, mm. you know, like the way, you know, like our first conversation, you know, she was, it was essentially like, well, I don't need anything from you. Uh, I'm here just to find friendship the same way you're talking about it. I'm not here looking to find somebody to sweep me off my feet or any of these grandiose ideas. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, wow, okay. You know, and so her just being fiercely independent and very sure of herself was very attractive. It just so happened that she's gorgeous, but it wasn't even her physical attributes. It was her inner beauty, her mindset, her intelligence mm-hmm. is what really set it off for me. But no, we met, you know, on a site, you know, we talked for a few weeks via the site. Then, you know, we talk you know via telephone and facetime and uh and then one thing led to another and six seven years later here we are (laughs) that's very cool yeah that's nice and november is gonna be the time when she comes back home right november yeah it should be around uh november but she got a special little bit um when she comes back you have something special planned is that a secret between you two or uh yeah i mean she's she's gonna watch this so yeah that'll be a secret i'll keep (laughs) i'll let her experience that okay that's cool um so you you mentioned your dad quite a bit is he um is he still in your life uh no my father passed away some years ago sorry to hear that my man no it's okay but he's still in my life i mean i talk to him on a regular basis and in my car Mm. uh let me see if you can see this. You see this white elephant? This is a white elephant. Mm-hmm. So the significance of that is I ride around every day with my dad. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to a, I met a, you know, a cool African lady, you know, who was selling some things and, you know, I wanted to support her. And so I just, there was something about me that spoke to the elephant and then, you know, so I bought it just because of the majestic creature that it is, you know, just the way elephants move. You know, I really mm-hmm. appreciate them. But how it all relates back to my dad is whenever I had an issue, I would ask him, you know, I'm dealing with whatever the issue is. You know, I need your advice. I need your help. And without a doubt, his response to me was always, how do you eat an elephant? And I'd be like, what? What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out. You know, like I have this situation at work or with this person and, you know, you're an elder, you're intelligent, you dealt with a multitude of things. You know, I respect your wisdom. Help me. And his thing would be, how do you eat an elephant? And I'd get pissed off. I'm like, yo, dad, what the hell, man? Like, I'm not talking to you about an elephant. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about my problem. And then Mm -hmm. he'd say, Taylor, stop and think about what I said. I'm like, I don't know, man, with a knife or a fork. And he's like, no, man, one bite at a time. That's how you eat an elephant. Mm-hmm. So look at, the, look, at your, look at your problem, whatever it is, the proverbial elephant. How are you yeah. going to accomplish that task? So you do it one step at a time. Right. Cool. You know, you have an ultimate goal, but ultimately that's it. So 
Yeah, man, my dad is with me every day. I'm a very big believer, you know, like in spirituality. And I think people leave in the physical, but for some, they're still here in the spiritual plane, you know, and I definitely feel my ancestors on a consistent basis. They help me through life. I agree with you because uh, two days after my mom passed away, you know, there she was in my dream. You know, she came to me in my dream and, and, and uh, she did it twice. And she's been doing it ever since then. But I, I, uh, from, I, I was always wrestling with the spiritual world myself. But when I saw that, it's like it confirmed to me there is, there is a different world. There was definitely a different world. And yeah. uh, how, long, how long ago did, you, did your dad pass? Uh, it's been about 10 years now. 10 years, yeah. Yeah. My stepdad was basically my father. He passed away, I think, five years ago, I think, six years ago. And um, in the beginning, it's rough. The beginning is very, very rough. You know, it's a very tough yeah. experience. Um, and it's not something you can do with the help of other people too much. It's kind of something you have to face on your own. How did you learn how to deal with that? Very much so. Well, I smoked a lot of weed, a lot, a lot of weed. <laughs> yeah, and, same here. Uh, you know, and, you know, I have a really cool family, so they were, the, they were there to help me, to give me support. Mm -hmm. But as you stated, I had to make sense of it for myself. You know, how I was going to, you know, just make it through because I knew that I couldn't just give up, I couldn't just quit. Mm -hmm. You know, and I just have to continue, you know, the legacy, but mm -hmm. my own branch of the legacy. The one thing that, that uh, I've, I've talked to grief counselors, uh, people, you know, other people who've lost parents and stuff like that, because I, you know, both my parents have passed away. Um, the one thing that's consistent is the fact that it's the hardest thing. And for me, the hardest thing was not being able to call him. Was that the same for you? Yeah, because I could call my dad on a, on a regular basis and, you know, just drive down to Albany and come check on him. But, um, you know, that was tough coming to my mom's house, him not being there in his chair or in his office, you know, working on whatever he was working on. You know, that was difficult, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, his he was really big on his fish tank, mm -hmm. you know, so seeing his fish tank, you know, kind of go away was, that was probably one of the toughest things. It was tough, but it was necessary, you know, so... uh but yeah, no, that was the toughest, you know, researching, hey, dad, I bought you some albino frogs for your fish tank, mm. you know, or whatever. Hey, I bought you a, a whatever. Hey, dad, you want to get a piranha? I have a connect on a piranha. You would have you know, a piranha? No, I don't. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, at one point in time, I knew somebody who had them and, mm -hmm. you know, it was a situation of, hey, do you want that? You know, but if you get that, you can't have any of those other pretty tropical fish in your tank. Yeah. Because they're all going to be gone. Well, this person that you knew had piranhas in his fish tank, was he connected to the mafia in any way? No, I don't think so. No, no. Because <laughs> I would just think that would be the ultimate mafia thing to do. You know, if you can send somebody off, it's like, here's a whole thing of piranhas in the tank, chuck them in there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no, it wasn't that. But um, before we go, uh, if you, if Elon Musk, asked you to come with him for five years and help him colonize Mars, but you can only take three strains with you, what would they be? Oh, shit. Black Triangle Kush. Oh, that's a good one. 
um, grapes and cream. Mm-hmm. And I got to go with OG Kush. And why those three? OG Kush is just my, you know, it's just the standard go-to. Um, grapes and cream because I just found that at Canon. And I just love that strain. I love the way it tastes. I love the way it smells. Mm-hmm. And Black Triangle Kush, just because that was my favorite when I started going to dispensaries. Mm-hmm. Like, I would go to Netta, and they would have it sometimes, and it'd be amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I guess, that. Yeah. So, no, it's some great stuff. Great, great stuff. Have you had the 818 headband? I don't think so. Dude, you got to try that one, man. Oh, that's so good. That is so good. And I used to be a big Indica hybrid guy. Now A18 has just sold me on, on, on that. It's just, it's incredible. But what, I'll definitely try to. But what, the, what about those three strains that actually affected you? Was it, was it, is it the grapes and cream give you like a, a more focused effect or? Well, me, like, because my mind constantly works, I'm constantly thinking of new ideas. Mm-hmm. So, like, if I have time, if I'm just by myself, if I'm not doing anything, I'm thinking about how I can do this. What about this idea? What about this? So, like, the grapes and cream, the indicas in general, they just calm me down. They just mm-hmm. calm everything down and slow it down. Right. So that it's just everything is tranquil. Nice. So you, so you pretty much like your your hybrids and it does kind of calm your mind a bit. Yeah, yeah. Is there other forms of um, of uh, ways you you ingest or consume? Or uh, yeah. edibles? Like I've been on that peanut butter Buddha bar. What do you think of that one? I think it's awesome. Yeah, because I um, I mean I've been that's on my list to try. I haven't tried it yet. But what what about it? So good. Well, I'm I'm a peanut butter guy. Mm-hmm. And like with, with a lot of edibles, I don't know how many of you've had, but like with a lot of edibles, there's that little kick at the in that aftertaste, like the cannabis concentrated aftertaste mm-hmm. that, you know, can be a bit much. But with this peanut butter Buddha bar, you don't taste any of that. Mm, that's true. I had the alfagato bar. That was, oh my God, that was so good. And, and so from what I hear is because somebody at, Canada told me about Alfagata bar, so I got to try that as well. But yeah, no, it's it's good stuff, man. I was because I'm I was hesitant hesitant to try it because I'm overly sensitive when it comes to stimulants. Um, yeah, I, it's I don't I don't I don't like I had the only the only caffeine I can handle is uh, decaf coffee. That's it. Gotcha. I can't handle any caffeine whatsoever. I mean, you see the energy that I, ha- I have. No caffeine. Yeah. None whatsoever. Gotcha. And, um, but you know, this, this thing, so I had it in the morning and, uh, boy, was it good, but I had too much of it. <laughs> I, I really, really do not recommend having too many, too many edibles. It's no fun at that point. Yeah, no, not at all. So what other edibles have you had from work? Uh, the gummies, um, which, what are your favorites? Honestly, uh, I think, I don't know who it was, but they made these pucks. It was the Nantucket Bud or whatever the name of that company was. Heirloom? They um no, it wasn't Heirloom. I've had Heirloom. I've had Incredible. Um I've had the Dewdrops. 
I've had the uh, the Chroma. I don't know if we sell those anymore. They weren't really that good. The Chroma, uh, the lemon gummies, it just tasted like lemonade concentrate. I didn't like the congees too much. I don't know if you had those. The congee, yeah, that was the first one that I had. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't a huge fan of that. It kind of made me not want to try the other gummies. Yeah. I've had gummies from Denver when I lived out there, and you know, they're, they're pretty good. They're really, really good. They don't have that. They're, they're, they still have that aftertaste. That's why I, I don't gravitate towards them. But you're right. I, I, I've, um, I've been wanting to try the Coast edibles. How are they? I haven't had the Coast. Yeah. The only, the only one person I know has had the Coast, and he said they were, they were delicious. So I've been waiting on one more person to, to uh, help me decide that point. But, you know, I, I definitely want to get into edibles, but I do more of um, – I do more flour and uh, vapes. Um, some concentrates when I can get when I get to that to the, that the level. Like I start doing, um, they call it uh, dabs. Dabs. Yeah. Have you ever done a dab? Nah, I'm not. Eh, I'm not really into dabs. I've never done dab myself either. I heard it. It really attacks your throat, so that's why I've been a little bit hesitant to try it. Yeah, I'm all set, man. I'm good on on flour and some edibles, but mostly flour. Cool. T, I can't I can't thank you enough for doing this, my man. I hope we get to do it again because uh, there's there's a lot more things I, I want to get into as far as your future, what your plans are that we didn't touch. But I I unfortunately got to get ready for work. No, uh, no doubt, man. I appreciate the opportunity. And yeah, yeah. I'm go ahead. No, go ahead, buddy. I was going to say, I'm working on a podcast as well. So once everything gets all worked out, I'll definitely have you on. That'd be fantastic, man. I appreciate that. It really would mean a lot to me if you did that. Definitely. Very cool. What's it going to be about? Uh, weed, politics, culture, music. Yeah? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I mean, with the, uh, I mean, with the elections coming up soon, I'm sure that couple you know the big topic will be uh some politics so you know we'll we'll bang it out you and i will just uh back and forth each other with uh with uh like a tennis i'll be on your show you'll be on my show we'll go back and forth there you go all right my man all right chris have a good one boss always a pleasure my man take care yes sir bye-bye later thanks for listening if you enjoyed this episode please go to our website thefullpodcast.com and follow us. We'd appreciate your support. More episodes are soon on their way.